Hello, my name is Deborah Thomas, Editor-in-Chief of American Anthropologist, and this is Anthropological Airwaves. In this episode of Anthropological Airwaves, we speak with Wayne Modest, Director of the Research Center for Material Culture at the Consortium of Four Ethnographic Museums in the Netherlands, including the Schopen Museum, the Africa Museum, the Museum Volkenkunde, and the Verald Museum. University of Pennsylvania graduate student Chris Green interviewed Wayne about current decolonization efforts within European ethnographic museums. The wide-ranging conversation addresses issues related to how museums can be public-facing while still engaging in forms of critical scholarship. Wayne's interest in the ways ethnographic museums address contemporary issues related to the histories of imperialism takes us into a discussion about the kinds of collaboration and repair that are possible in and around these spaces. Decolonizing emerges as an ongoing process. It entails a commitment to do the work of redress, to think differently about care, to deconstruct the categories through which we have come to collect, exhibit, and represent materials, to take the question of audience seriously, and to fight against the persistence of imperial modes of thinking within a complexly, formerly colonial world. So yeah, I work at the, what is called the National Museum of World Cultures, which is a, a, a kind of conglomerate of, of ethnographic museums in the Netherlands created in 2014. So, and within that museum, I, I am head of the research center. You could say that this is a space where we're trying to bring a certain set of, a certain kind of criticality to what it means to have an ethnographic museum in the present and how might we attend to the difficult histories of that kind of museum while still thinking about possible future. So that's basically what they sent to the run with a few people. Do. And this is more of a practical question, but how does your position work with some of the more public-facing parts of the museum, or is your position an inherently public-facing part of the museum? Yeah, I mean, we, we, we take research to be something else uh, rather than um, only solely a thing where we understand research as being behind doors looking at objects. I mean, I think the curatorial role is always a public-facing role in a certain sense. I mean, we're a little past the moment when, the, when we imagine the curator to be hidden away just caring for um, but but the research center's role is double. On the one hand, there is a an attempt to stimulate research in the broadest sense, and that's through academics, through makers, so artists, um, designers, as well as through curation. And so we try to foster a certain kind of criticality to the collections that we have. And in doing that, the attempt is to try and bring a little bit more curatorial scholarship with academic scholarship. But in addition to that, and this is where my, the center becomes extremely, our center becomes extremely public facing. I mean, we think of research as something that happens in the public domain as a form of praxis. And so we have 
perhaps 38 events per year, either small critical conversations around photography that could be 10 people, or we've had an event on this afterlives of slavery in the present, and that was throughout the event, 1,400 people. <laughs> so it is distinctly public-facing <laughs> in a certain sense, um, but not public-facing where there is any demand from us to water down the scholarship. So the, the, the idea of public-facing in, in the research sense is actually to engage the public broadly in the criticality that we think is necessary to think otherwise about the museum. So that's, that's what the center does. That sounds like a very envious position to be in for most people that work in museums. Yeah, I, I would say so. I mean, it is also, a, on the one hand, it is envious because uh, in a funny way, I think, and some of my colleagues say that, you know, we get the chance to do the nice things. I don't know if I, I would describe it as that because our work is, uh, you know, we were talking yesterday, the kind of work we do is emotional work. It is, it is challenging work. It is, um, it is work that one has to do openly and empathetically, realizing that you're also going to be challenged by other academics, by activists, and, and to come to that with humility. But it is a, a good position to be in because we are um, invested in that when we merge to suggest that this kind of criticality was necessary if we were to think a museum otherwise. And, and that is special, I think. In, there, is not, there aren't many museums that have that. Yeah, so in keeping with our conversations that we had with the folks at the Museum Ethnographers Group last year, their conference on decolonizing the museum, I wanted to ask a little bit about your thoughts on the capacity for the museum, especially a museum with many colonial legacies, mm -hmm to be able to be a political space. Certainly in your case, you've been able to manage that in different kinds of iterations, but maybe the degrees to which you see that being possible, if you feel like you're reaching any sorts of limits or if you're really just at the beginning and just describing a little mm -hmm. bit about your experience in the museum as a political space. I would, I would first start out by suggesting that all museums are political spaces. So the distinction that we try to make often that there are these things called cultural spaces or knowledge spaces, and then there's politics. Uh, we don't make that distinction, um, primarily because as a museum, yeah, just the very idea of who produces knowledge, what knowledge is produced, that in relationship to questions of decolonization, one has to see that as, as a critical political space. While there are a lot of curators doing important work, we should also acknowledge that a lot of the kinds of push towards thinking decolonial didn't come from internally. It came from a space of activism, a space of critical impatience that 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 diverse groups of people were having to try and in, um, push the museum to think its work otherwise, or think through the violence of its practice, or think through its exclusive practices, or or framings. If one acknowledges that, then one acknowledges that it is in a political framework that these practices happen. It doesn't happen outside of politics. And so for us, an important part of, I think, what we, what we were going to do was to intervene into societal conversations of what it means to live in the world with others. And once you adopt that kind of mission, then you adopt a particular politics. So our work is, is re in relation to that. 
but the mission was only one part. So, so if you ask me the question, what are the limits? First, you know, I should have said that to start out, which is what I was trying to do, one has to acknowledge the work of activism, that it starts there. Because even in the beginning when we started some of these projects, and yeah, it, it was an uncomfortable space also working with activism. We hadn't developed a methodology, an openness, an understanding of what we were doing at the time, or we were trying. We were open enough, though, and that was important. And that led, I think, to us constantly thinking through how to position ourselves or how to think, how to create a space of care, a practice that is open. But to make it short, if you say, is decolonization even possible? You know, I would suggest that decolonizing the museum I like the use of the ING because it indicates that it is a future practice, that it's, it's a labor, it's a burden, it's something that one has to do all the time, and that one should not celebrate that one is there yet. I don't know any museums that can, but we wouldn't celebrate because our work is an ongoing one. The question is how committed we are to it. But there are several kinds of activists that would say, if decolonizing the museum is not possible if there is no end goal which is possible which mm. sees a decolonized museum mm. is it worth continuing to protect by doing incremental kinds of things mm. yeah i mean that question has been posed as well um, it has also been posed and i've been having it with several people including scholars um, activists that that it is irreparable that it, it is irredeemable. I'm, I'm a little bit more hopeful in that sense, not, not because I think that we're going to reach a moment when we just simply celebrate, but because of another kind of work that I think needs to be done. For, first of all, I would want to say that a part of this problem, I think, is to think that the museum that I work in, the kind of museum that I work in, is irredeemable, and there, there are other museums that are redeemable. That there is something about my museum, my kind of the ethnographic museum, that is, you know, aligns itself with anthropology, archaeology, and its history, and that it is such a, a festering of the colonial, whereas other places are not. And of course, I, one needs to, to acknowledge the, the, the nature of anthropological museums and what they have done in aligning themselves with particular racializing practices, practices of um, theft, acquiring objects under duress, you know, all of those things have to be acknowledged. But I want to suggest that we take the ethnographic museum as only one in a massive symptom, a bigger structure of colonial afterlives that one has to continue to fight. To think that it is only this museum is actually to lose the battle already. <laughs> because it is the afterlives are so intricately networked out there that continue to ensnare people over and over to make them continually precarious. To address that, which I think is a burden, some task for all of us, one has to commit to the work and commit to the work bigger than the ethnographic museum. So that's why I'm interested in the, the idea of decolonizing 
as a commitment to the labor to undo. And that undoing might mean a kind of unraveling, a reorganization, a rethinking, a dissent, however you want to call it, of what we understand as ethnographic museums. But it shouldn't mean because we see it as being so impossible, we shouldn't commit. Otherwise, we would have failed already to create space for those who colonialism has have made most precarious. I've been working in museums like these for nearly two decades now, and I would want to suggest that until, and every time I say that, I always, when, when I say until, I always remember Bob Marley, the philosophy that was one recipe. Yeah, but until we have done away with them, until that moment comes, and even if that moment is in is the horizon, then the work needs to be done to create other futures. And that is what I'm committed to. And if that work leads to an unraveling of the institution, then okay, we can understand that. But until that moment, until it is empty, until whatever, then committing to the project of justice is still important. And I, I am committed to that project. We are committed to that project. Until the philosophy which old one race superior and another inferior is finally and permanently discredited and abandoned everywhere is war. So can you talk a little bit about what you have done in terms of trying to repair and redress some of the kinds of relationships that the museum maybe yeah. didn't have or wanted to uh, improve? One of the things that I've come to think about recently, and well, we, we, we launched a, a book recently, last June, called Words Matter. And that Words Matter book was emerged as a, as a way of thinking about the conceptual categories the terminologies that we use and the ways in which those terminologies themselves form part of maintaining certain structures. You know, they are part of a colonial way of being and knowing, and we continue to use them so easily without even thinking. So we did, we did, we produced this book called Words Matter, and the intention was in with that book to give our curators, and actually we produced it to help our curators think more critically, or tend exhibition makers, or marketing department about what, what words might mean and it came as well from them asking okay this world is uncomfortable I don't know what to do with it but why I wanted to bring that up as the categories we've struggled with is that I want to be incautious and suggest to you that perhaps many ethnographic museums in New Zealand in Australia here in Europe have already committed to reparative practices even though the conceptual category in which they frame them sometimes are really strange <laughs> and outmoded. And therefore, the good work sometimes gets overshadowed because the conceptual mobilization of an outmoded way of thinking keeps returning again and again. And so a part of our work is to try and move away from that, to try and imagine other categories of thinking and doing. What do you see as that mode that has the gravity that people are unable to carry themselves away from? Well, 
I think we've come to believe a lot in a kind of non-criticality towards the things that we do. So as a museum, I'm invested in just critiquing what might it mean that UNESCO has this definition of what, I mean, an icon of what a museum is. And many people don't critique that. They just say that the museum is this and it does this and it should do this. So it says it should preserve and it should preserve in this and this way without actually thinking that the, as these conceptual frameworks become globalized and mobilized all over the world, that they also can perpetuate another kind of violence because it is another kind of centralizing of knowledge that says this is what it should be and this is how it should happen. So we've been thinking, what might it mean that a museum doesn't see its, uh, its mode of practice as a site of preservation? All it, it talks about preserving things, but it thinks otherwise about caring and caring not just for objects, but what, what if it were to critique itself through, you know, kind of feminist or queer notions of caring for think, thinking about the world, thinking about people and objects form a part of that but are not the center of that. If one inhabits only that thing of we need to preserve and preservation is the only thing, then one doesn't allow oneself to think beyond that category. If one thinks of we need to keep because keeping is going to keep it for the world, then one doesn't think about what does keeping, what, what is keeping when it is in a bigger structure of a colonial afterlife. We need to critically think about that. And I think that that's what hold us. Practices hold us. Traditions hold us. The idea that heritage is something holds us. Rather than thinking that these things are constituted by us. And that in the constitution of these things, even in the moment that they were constituted, they were constituted when some people were not a part of the constitution of the idea itself. And one needs to challenge that. Which is why I think decolonizing the museum is a wonderful thing because I think the people who are practicing it, whether or not it is in, at the Brooklyn Museum or in Berlin or in Amsterdam, are contesting the very categories that we are saying we need to hold to. They're contesting the idea of what an institution should be, who an institution serves. And I think that we need to be uncomfortable as museums to move past that. We hold on to fixed to the categories that we've come to know without thinking that those categories maintain violence or do violence to some and not to others. So what does this look like for you then for other institutions moving forward, whether it's a major museum, a small university museum, even a department of anthropology that has some sort of collections Mm. to be able to practice care to be able to curate with love these things that you've talked about. And what does this look like for these folks that are interested or invested in these concepts to actually practice it? You know, that's uh, actually, that's one of the reasons why for us to have this research institute. The first thing I'd say is that we should be careful that the notion of decolonize the museum isn't a fad, a fashionable moment that does nothing to reorganize the museum as space. So how do we make it both political and embedded? 
my interest would be to ask an anthropology like mine, museum like mine, an ethnographic museum like mine in the Netherlands, which has a specific history. Tropa Museum isn't like the museum here. Tropa Museum was the colonial museum. That's what it was called. You know, that's what it was built. So first of all, I want to suggest that one of my fears is that in this fashionability of the decolonized museum project, everybody thinks that it is the same answer that's going to solve their problems. And on the one hand, there is a need for conceptual rethinking, and that's possible. But one also has to ask, what is this specific museum doing? What kind of colonial entrapments does the art institution have that is different from here? And how do you address that differently? One of the things we do in our museum in the Netherlands, um, so in, in the Tropa Museum, for example, is that we've started to do a, a set of programming, just simply thinking about what what are the contemporary concerns of Amsterdam today? Questions around migration, questions around inclusion and exclusion, questions around religion and religious values. And so we started to think through what kind of intellectual, academic, discursive, public programs can we do to be able to put on the agenda or invite people to place their concerns on the agenda? What kind of collaborations do we do? And so almost everything we do now is we try to do it through collaborative work. We have an exhibition going, up now, going on now called Afterlights. And a part of that was to try and develop a methodology with that exhibition. So at the beginning, when the concept was being developed, what we did was we tried we invite activists and academics and community members to come to us and talk through the concept with us. And they stayed from the beginning of the concept development until the exhibition opened, criticizing every moment of it. And so what we're trying to do is to develop that kind of methodology of stealing from somebody else, I would call a kind of contingent collaboration, a kind of common implicatedness in creating more non-imperial futures. And so we're trying to think through what that methodology means for any exhibition we do. If it is going to be about um, the next exhibition, that big, one of the big exhibitions we're doing shortly is on um, gender, questions of gender, gender and sexuality. What does it mean to think together with those who live lives made difficult because of their gender and sexuality, to do an exhibition with them? or to at least invite them to criticize. So if anything else, one of the things that taught us is that we should be comfortable with criticism, discomfort, um, being slapped in the face, being told that we're not doing it right. We should be honest in our collaboration to say, this is what we want to get out of it. Are you okay with that? We should understand that it is it might fail. And we should commit to this kind of matter that I put into the research center, which is to say that we never make the same mistake twice <laughs> in any collaboration, you know. You, you mess it up, but you try to learn and the next one is better and the next one is better. And you know that the horizon is always going to be somewhere else. So with, with that kind of methodology of collaboration, collaborative practice with people who are interested in a decolonial museum that makes us vulnerable try to push aside our authority. I think that that is a way we've been trying to learn. We describe ourselves as a learning museum, as a museum that can make mistakes, as a collaborative space. 
and in a certain sense as a space that is somehow humble about what it is we do while at the same time acknowledging that we are not perfect we will fail we haven't reached there yet there's nothing to celebrate but that we're trying i think all of us need to adopt that commitment to a kind of humility in our practices of representation if that is what we want to do well it's a a tough proposition for a lot of institutions i know but uh, i think it's a fantastic methodology to work towards and like you said it's just can't end hopefully we'll be able to put your recommendations into action at museums across the us oh but <laughs> The U.S. inhabits, uh, it's another space to inhabit. Eh? So, I mean, I, I'm interested in them being a space when one can destabilize, provincialize, allow the U.S. or Europe to realize how small it is, how really tiny it is in the world. That is my horizon, that an ethnographic museum is a space you come to know that you're really, really tiny. And the world of being and knowing in the world is unending. You're just one speck. So let's respect what else is out there and try to learn from it. So, the US, that's another kettle of fish. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much. This is really fantastic. Thank you for tuning in to the third installment of our special feature on decolonizing museums. We would also like to extend a special thank you to Chris and Cassandra Green, as well as Deborah Thomas, and all of the scholars and activists that sat down to speak with us on this issue. If you want to get in touch with us, reach out at amanthpodcast on Twitter. We're also on Facebook. You can check us out on AmericanAnthro.org or send us an email at amanthpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you next time.